For January 21st, 2020, this is episode number 21, and it's Adam and Mo for all the ladies out there playing all the jams for you, which is a show, another show we got to do, Mo. We got to do that together. Yes, we do. And it's show 22, sir. Did I say 21? I'm sorry. Show 22. Thank you. Uh, an error in the system. Yes. Can't take one from you, man. We... Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Double I, deuce. I don't want to take anything from you. Now, I have to apologize, uh... Uh, to everybody, and really, to the, I feel like I've done the show a disservice. I there was a prior engagement that I had put on the books before we shifted our recording time to Monday evenings, and I really didn't want to cancel that. Um, but now, just looking over, you know, what we might be talking about tonight, and fully well aware that yesterday we celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King, I feel like I am a traitor. I've done the show a disservice. Well, no, I knew exactly where you were at. Uh, you were volunteering like everybody else. Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, yes, I was volunteering my time. Exactly right. I'm sure you were doing the same. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, we're going to spin the big wheel. Let's find out what we'll be talking about uh, tonight, which really should have been uh, yesterday, an important day. And oh, our topic for today is Martin Luther King. Martin Luther the King. <laughs> Martin Luther the King. Wait, who was that? Who was that? Who was Martin Luther the King? That's, <laughs> we're talking about Dr. Martin Luther King. No, Jr., no. Who that said that? Who said that on the clip? That was from Coming to America. One oh, of your favorite movies. Oh, the barbershop, yes, barbershop scene. Yes. And that is one of my favorite movies. I liked it a lot. <laughs> Even Arsenio so Hall thought, was good in that. Yes, he was. Th- that's saying I a lot. I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, thank you. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Uh, so yes, apologies. We should have had this out yesterday, but maybe yesterday everyone had a chance to, you know, kind of soak in the mainstream media version. Yeah. So you know what mainstream media gave you that I have a dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Yes. And uh, may I thank you for finding one of the better uh, quality versions of that clip. I hear so many versions of it, which is old film optical sound. This is pretty decent. Yeah, I, I tried to pick the best quality clips. Uh, I even do a little producing to. Uh, yeah, you're a musicologist. Yeah, yes, I am. So yeah, I, know, I know it's appreciated so, and it's noticed. Yeah. So what we're not going to do is that. 
<laughs> oh, okay. I thought we could do more. Oh, all right. So on no, this, we're on not going to do oh, that. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, MLK was a very um, special person. Uh, he had uh, good and bad. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to talk about both the good and the bad. And what I really want to focus on is one how he is used as a product now or his image is used as a product Mm -hmm. one and then two the influences around him uh because what people don't really know is oh let's let's just start with how he is used uh this is uh chronicles of judah one of our favorite youtubers and he talks about MLK the trigger. The Caucasian liberals have a lot invested in the image of Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King is a trigger that they use to control American blacks. Remember, remember, whenever American blacks start to get out of control, they bring up Martin Luther King. Because they, that's how they rein you in. You got to be more like Dr. King. You have to follow his message. Right? You have to want to be with me. You have to want to hold my hand. Once again, Martin Luther King was a pawn of the globalists. They utilized him to bring you black people into the fold of globalism, a.k.a. Luciferianism. The economic system of Luciferianism is communism. Oh, Mo, you're talking my language with this one. I love it. (laughs) Let me just get this straight. It was YouTuber was Chronicles of what? Of Judah, 144. Chronicles of Judah 144. Okay, I just want to make sure we have that in the show notes for everybody. Okay, that was yes. good. I like that. That was that was good to listen to. So this is, that's why I said the real person, Dr. Martin Luther King, was a very complex person. As we talked about before, we he went from nonviolent to at the end of his life saying he ushered, he think he ushered his people into a burning house. So that shows complex, but the mainstream media wants you to have a dream. Exactly. Uh, and exactly. they want to use that nonviolent pacifist um, um, ideology to shape the mind of black, black people, quote unquote, black people in America. So it's a control mechanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we get into this, I just want to uh, do a little background on Martin Luther King, a a crusader for liberation. Martin Luther King Jr. was a minister and leading activist during the 20th century civil rights movement. He was born Michael Luther King Jr. on January 15, 1929 in Atlanta, and later changed his name to Martin. King grew up steeped in religion and activism. His father was a reverend at Ebenezer Baptist Church and a local NAACP leader. A talented student, King skipped two grades in high school and entered Morehouse College at age 15. King was skeptical about Christianity as a boy, but later embraced his faith and entered the seminary. Okay. So the reason why I rang the bell at age 15. Yeah. He was he was being groomed From to 15. be a protege. Huh. A la uh, Greta. Okay. <laughs> Many examples. Yeah. That yeah, wow. And and who was doing the grooming? His father. See, he grew up in a pastor rich family. His right. father married into a uh church family. 
so he married into uh, his grandfather on his mother's side uh, ran uh, the, I think Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Right. Well, he was being he was being groomed in the cloth. I mean that that seems kind of yes. logical. You have a parochial family like that. That's not mm-hmm. you know it's not necessarily a boule illuminati yet. Well, it well well well. Whoa! Slow down. Uh, <laughs> Slam on the brakes. He, Wait, pump the brakes. A, <laughs> yes, he's definitely a card carrying member of the boule. He is. Uh, as we talked about before with Margaret Sanger. Oh, um, right, 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 right. Just have the reverence. Yeah. yeah, okay, got it. The reverend mm-hmm. and a little known fact, he actually won the first Margaret Sanger Award. <laughs> we have to give a little back, background to the Margaret Sanger, <laughs> just just a tad. She she started the eugenics, the eugenic, eugenics movement, uh, yes. which eventually became Planned Parenthood. Now, you know, I don't need to talk about if they've changed since then or not. Uh, but they was was totally like sterilizing black men. This is all total fact history and was accepted belief at the time. Yeah, I have, I have no argument there. Uh, she definitely was targeting uh, minorities, poor, quote unquote, poor white trash. Uh, right, right. And was of, of that of that ilk. Uh, but I just want to make sure that we don't say that she only targeted it. Uh, not only. Uh, no, not only. True. True. Quote, quote unquote, Mari. So. But I just wanted, to, yeah. He he was, um, yeah. He was awarded the the Margaret Sanger <laughs> Award. So I just I just, wanted, I just wanted to point that out, yeah, just, just just so you know. Minor little detail that gets uh, glossed over in the uh, hagiography on Martin Luther King Day itself. Yes, and the other thing in that clip that I want to point out that he was reluctant to go into the church business or the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as they pointed out in that clip, but I I rarely do this, but please forgive me. I'm going to use a robo voice because I couldn't find many clips on this next man, <laughs> Martin Luther King Sr. One. Martin Luther King Esser was a Baptist pastor, missionary, and an early leader in the American civil rights movement. He was also the father of Martin Luther King Jr. Early life King. Born Michael King, led the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and became a leader of the civil rights movement, as the head of the NAACP chapter in Atlanta and of the Civic and Political League. He encouraged his son to become active in the movement. He also changed his name from Michael King to Martin Luther King after becoming inspired during a trip to Germany by the life of Martin Luther, the German theologian who initiated the Protestant Reformation. Now, was that the... CPA, the Communist Party of America. Well, you're getting ahead of yourself, so I need to put you. Put your I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm all right. No, but that was that was e- that was easy connection. So I won't I won't get on you too much. But you know you are from the future, so mm-hmm. uh, we need you to put those goggles on. <laughs> okay. uh, but what was strange was Martin Luther King Sr. and Martin Luther King Jr. were originally. Michael King Sr. and Michael King Jr. Huh. But Michael King Sr. makes his trip to Nazi Germany in 1933. And he comes back and changes his name and his son's name to Martin Luther King. Huh. 
Because the, what the, were you doing the in Nazi, Germany? The, yeah, because the Nazi tie, uh, the Nazi visit was, or the German visit was uh, problematic, or could be seen as problematic. I guess. Yeah, what were you doing? I mean, that was just I can't find too much information on what there. I mean, it was a group of pastors, ministers oh, <laughs> that went over there. Oh my but goodness! What was a black man doing in Nazi Germany in 1933? Chilling, uh, Netflix and if chill. If you were running track of boxing, <laughs> uh, I mean that was. Oh no, you're that, right. That was a, that's a throwback to uh, you know uh, other shows that we had. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was the only two people that I know. So it was just strange. You come back, you change your name. So, so for a little bit more background, uh, let's get into Crusaders for Liberation Two. King was now the national face of the civil rights cause. He was jailed over 20 times, was once stabbed in the chest, his house was bombed, and he suffered relentless personal attacks on himself and his family. One day, I was crying profusely, and Mom picked us up from school and and asked me, well, what's wrong? And I said, well, the kids said, Daddy's a jailbird. And she explained to me why he was going to jail, that he was really going to jail to make this world a better place for all of God's children. Well, the next day, I came back to school with almost a new attitude, being proud of what my father was doing. So had you ever heard of Martin Luther King being stabbed? No. I've heard none of oh. this. Where did you dig this oh. up? Uh, this was on biography, actually. Huh. Um, so it's not, I mean, there's not like a... No, it's not like a secret, hidden secret. Uh, but, yeah, hidden yeah. secret. But I'll give you a little background on it. Maybe that's why you didn't hear about it. On September 20th, 1958, Isola Ware Curry, a poor and demented woman from Georgia, became a footnote in history. Uh, just a literal sneeze away from being a major figure. Uh, it says that day, the sometimes housekeeper and short order cook pulled an ivory handle seven inch letter holder and, uh, excuse me, plunged a seven inch letter holder into the chest of Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. While he was in Harlem for a book signing. She wanted to kill Kings. Um, she said because she believed he was a communist and was spying on her. Wow, and such shame and brought she was a to black the, lady. such shame brought to the Curry name. <laughs> I'm I'm trying can't, to make amends. I'm trying to <laughs> trying to make amends. Wow, wow, oh, you know, I really don't think I've heard that story. And a seven inch. I mean, did it go all seven the way? Inch. What happened? I mean, I, clearly he survived and, it. Well, they had to remove the blade. Oh, I guess it. Bro- I guess it broke off in him because they actually had to remove the blade. And uh. the talking point was he was a sneeze away from dying. If he just sneezed, he'd have died. That's the story. Wow! Wow! But wow! The fact that she believed he was a communist way back in 1958, which ar- is, arguably he came from. Uh, his dad was communist. Yeah, he was surrounded by a lot of communists, and we're going to get into that more. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the more so, you, the yeah. more you learn, the more you know. Yeah, so we ain't giving the M five the M five M or the mainstream media for the people that don't know what M five M five M is. We're not going to give you the mainstream media story here. We're going to get into the the nooks and crannies of of his life. It's beautiful. And the people that surrounded him. Beautiful. I'm very excited. Uh, <laughs> I like this a lot. So let's get back to his father, uh, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King, senior two. In October 1960, when Martin Luther King, J.R. was arrested at a peaceful sit-in in Atlanta, 
Robert Kennedy telephoned the judge and helped secure King's release. Although King, Essa had previously opposed Kennedy because he was a Catholic, he expressed his appreciation for these calls and switched his support to Kennedy. At this time, King, Essa had been a lifelong registered Republican, and had endorsed Republican Richard Nixon. <laughs> his son, Martin Luther King Jr. soon became a popular civil rights activist. Taking inspiration from Mohandas Gandhi of India, he led nonviolent protests in order to give African Americans greater rights. Wow! Mind blown! <laughs> King was, was a Republican until uh, JFK uh, popped him out of jail, then he switched? So let me give you the background <laughs> nice. of the story because this is what I have to credit my black history professor, Dr. Mosley. All right. Because because when he dropped on me, it this is what started me really on to questioning what the narrative is. Oh, in history. this is a nice. Yeah, because, I, I have one of these moments too. Yeah, that's beautiful when you remember the moment when your your brain. That's like your awakening. You're like, hold on a second. Yeah, it, it, this media is crap. Yeah, and the story is in 1960 he was arrested for some kind of license violation in Georgia, and his uh, father, Daddy King, uh, that's what he was known as was afraid that he was going to be uh, lynched in jail. So uh -huh. he gets on the phone with his good friend uh, Nixon and with the Kennedy uh, people. And they, they were like, what kind of brokering? Who can get my son out of the jail? Wait a minute. With, the Nixon, and, with Nixon and the Kennedy people? Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. They both want. These they are both ordinary people. They, they, <laughs> yes. They both wanted to get the, the, the black support. They were fighting for it. Oh my God! This is boing 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 boing. Nice. Uh -huh. Thank you. So who who was uh, uh, Kennedy? Was the one that uh, made the wheels turn and got King out of there? And at a show of gratitude, Daddy King went on to sway his um, congregation and all his influence to Kennedy. And in the next clip, how Nixon turns back on Martin Luther King Jr. And, and it was devastating. The most devastating thing of all for Nixon, by the way, was, was an act of cowardice. When Dr. When Dr. King was arrested on a totally trumped-up charge um, and, and put in a paddy wagon and, and chains to be taken to Reesville Prison in Georgia, Coretta Scott King called both campaigns, the Kennedy campaign and the Nixon campaign, said, would you please help get him out? You know, there was a, the, the violence against um, African-Americans in the South in Georgia at that time was horrible. And, and she really thought he was going to be killed. And Kennedy, uh, the Kennedy people stepped up, and Nixon's, Nixon told his advisors that that would just be grandstanding to interfere with the legal process and King it, that was it. King later said that he had a you know we were in touch we were, I thought we were friends um, and, and, and and he was it showed a real moral a real moral lapse and uh, and if and if Nixon had done it um, Kennedy was sent by the way the Kennedy people sent out a, a, a campaign uh, flyer that said uh, 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 no comment Nixon versus the candidate with a heart and that and that and that and and if if Nixon had carried the black vote. And he, by the way, he still got 32% of the black vote, unlike today when, they, when, they, when Republicans get like 2% of the black vote. But uh, he would have won. He would have won, probably would have won at least, at least two more states, and, and everything would have changed. Wow. 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 That was cool. And this is where history kind of shifted at this point. Uh, yeah. Martin in, in the time machine that you just put us in. <laughs> wow. Martin Luther King uh, became a huge civil rights leader. 
uh, Daddy King swayed everybody within his influence to vote for Kennedy. Nixon lost, and wow, that that's what that's that's where we're at. Hey, you know, <laughs> you know, I got to thank you right here. We're only twenty twenty some minutes into the show. You've already given me a history lesson, which I was completely unaware of. And it's so obvious, you know, you, like, where did he actually come from? And all you really see, all the imagery you get is, I have a dream, and he shot. That's pretty much mm-hmm. it. I mean, to be honest about it, you know, there's more, but that's what your brain, you know, rem- my brain remembers. So this is, this is and, fantastic. And these are not ordinary people. No. These people were elite. In a in a in a way, in a way, uh, with their influence. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying with their, in, they weren't like hugely rich people, no. But their influence, and influence is like one of the greatest things ever. It was like the uh, o, is, the OG Instagram influencer. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and that's why that's why I let out the show by calling him Greta uh, in a way because <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man, he was 15 years he was 15 years old mm-hmm. when he was being shaped and groomed. Wow. Uh, and his father saw a great opportunity by him getting arrested and, and basically saying, which who who has that kind of power to call both presidential campaigns and say, hey, which one of you guys can get my son out of jail? <laughs> yeah, I'm holding a contest. <laughs> Want to see how you're doing? Wow. That's, that's maybe some Margaret Sanger juice. Who knows where that came from? But definitely in the, in the milieu, as we would say. Yes. So... The Nixon and Daddy King connection was so strong that he really didn't even have hard feelings uh, towards Daddy King. Uh, as we'll hear in this next clip, uh, Nixon visit, visited uh, Martin Luther King Sr. On arriving at Martin Luther King Sr.'s home, uh, there was a wake light atmosphere taking place. Uh, there must have been 50 or 60 people there uh, enjoying uh, food and talking with the King family uh, and trying to help them cope with uh, what had happened to their son. Mr. Nixon walked in, walked up immediately up to uh, Dr. King Sr. And when Dr. King Sr. saw Mr. Nixon, uh, the the two embraced. I remember being kind of behind uh, Mr. Nixon and and seeing uh, Dr. King Sr. patting uh, Mr. Nixon's back. Uh, I assume Mr. Nixon was doing the same uh, with Dr. King Sr. He talked with the family there, with Mrs. King, uh, with a number of their friends, and uh, then we got back into the car, and we headed to the airport. Wow. Shame. Just no shame. Let me go work the the crowd during the wake. (laughs) I think the Clintons do that very well now, actually. And just for context, that was post uh, the assassination of of Martin Luther King Jr. I I just want to make sure people understood that. Yeah. So so we have to do a little throwback clip and just remind people, maybe for the new listeners may not have heard this, about the relationship between the media, MLK, and the civil rights movement. As a story, the civil rights movement had it all. Good versus evil, drama, social upheaval. But at first, America's major media ignored it, especially in the South. It was our responsibility to find a way 
to dramatize the issue. Congressman John Lewis says that the movement's leaders realized to bring change, they needed to reach white Americans. How did you do that? As a movement, we literally put our bodies on the line. Influence on the civil rights coverage. Hank Klibanoff co-wrote The Race Beat, a book about the media and the movement. Well, race was a big story in the South beginning in the 40s and 50s. It's just that no one knew about it. Finally, by 1957, major northern newspapers discover the drama and the story. How do you feel about integrated passengers? The television networks followed. Even major southern media paid attention to the open hatred. You've got to keep the white and the black separate. And the violent response to peaceful protest. If you're going to beat us, beat us in the light of day. Beat us while the camera's on. This was Selma, Alabama, 1965, among the bloodied John Lewis. American people could not stand it. To see young children and old women being knocked down by fire hoses and chased by police dogs. Wow, another interesting piece of the puzzle. Of course, John Lewis, uh, didn't he just die? He's, I think, yeah, he's dead and Elijah Cummings is sick. Because sometimes I get them mixed up myself. I I know it's terrible, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but No, maybe it's the other way around. Now I feel feel bad about it. I do too. Uh, (laughs) Sorry about that, but... um, I just want to make the no, point. No, that John Lewis is he, John Lewis is sick. Uh, and Elijah Cummings, Elijah Cummings passed, passed, away. passed away. Yeah. Okay. 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 So they were putting on a production. I'm no kidding. Is, I mean, that's the total show. And this is the tactic they use to draw attention to the to the movement. Right, but uh, but the movement, as we heard, had basically already been co-opted by politics, by politics and other influence, yes. influences. Yes. So there's multiple people. I mean, he Martin Luther King is probably has one of the greatest voices ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the what is called the Southern Baptist voice that politicians use when they go down south. You heard Hillary Clinton use it. It's really the Martin Luther King voice. Oh, um, totally. Obama uses it. Uh, I mean, this just this. Uh, <laughs> this is not who we are. Right. <laughs> so that just his voice alone made people want to uh, co-opt him and well, steer it, him in different directions. Yeah, it was you know, an incredible brand. I mean, an all-around multimedia brand with with the iconic voice and the uh and his speech pattern, everything. It's total total brand. And a very young man. Mhm. So we can't forget this. He is a very young man. I mean, he was born in 1929. So in the 60s, he was only 31 years old. Right. And the 50, you know, I mean, so we're talking about just on the cusp of life. Uh, just understanding, and and before that, in the fifties, I mean, he was being shaped uh, one by his father, and next by this next man. We talked about him on previous shows, Mister Bayard Rustin, uh, MLK's organizer. August twenty eighth, nineteen sixty three, a quarter of a million Americans gathered in Washington, demanding that Congress put an end to officially sanctioned racism. 
without Baird Rustin as the organizer, the March on Washington would have been like a bird without wings. It was a sea of humanity. He had the ability to pull people together. He was able to reach out to hundreds and thousands of people all across America. Everybody from the NACP to the Protestant, Catholic, and Jews, he brought us all together. They live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. That afternoon, in the shadow of the Lincoln Memorial, a parade of speakers offered words of inspiration to the crowd. Those spoken by Martin Luther King would be heard over and over again for decades to come. Bayard Rustin's would be all but forgotten. Right. I do remember this guy. Mm-hmm. So Bayard Rustin was a openly gay. gay. Right. Now that, 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 okay, I remember now. Yeah. So put that in context, you have a deep southern uh pastor uh pastor from a family of pastors uh dealing with and being steered by Bayard Rustin, but that wasn't the real issue they had with Bayard. The issue they had with Bayard was his his open dealings with communist uh factions. Mm-hmm. And uh and Bayard was one of the ones that pushed MLK to really go nonviolent because there was it was captioned in a, uh, a scene in a, a, a movie called Boycott, and it's it's well uh, documented as well where Bayard came to visit uh, MLK, and MLK had armed guards around the house, mm-hmm. and Bayard was like, "How can you preach nonviolence, but you have?" armed guards around your house mm-hmm. which i have no problem i mean you could be nonviolent and still be about self-defense sure. i mean those two, two sure. things are, are <laughs> not one mutually one, exclusive uh, yeah exactly right but he pushed him to be a pacifist really like uh no guns no guns uh so mm. but bayard had a checker past himself and we'll get into that a little later but Let's listen to a little bit more on his background, civil rights pioneer. Bayard was at heart a militant and revolutionary in the fight for civil rights. Bayard Rustin served as a trusted advisor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. during the Montgomery bus boycott, but he's better known for organizing the iconic 1963 March on Washington. The one man in America who could do it did it. And that's why it happened. It had an architect. His name was Bayard Rustin. But in a time when intolerance ran high, Rustin stood out for more than just his work on civil rights. It was just one of these facts of life. Bayard is gay. He doesn't hide it. I said to somebody once that he never knew there was a closet to go into. Bayard had been attacked both for his homosexuality and as well as his political views. Strom Thurmond did it on the floor of the United States Senate. Thurman referenced Rustin's 1953 arrest on a public sex charge. The senator is interested in attacking me because he is interested in destroying the movement. He will not get away with this. <laughs> and Stor- Strom Thurman was a nice character, too. This is Yeah, he was, he's a piece of work. Yeah. He's a real piece of work. So he... So, um, 
uh, Bayard Rustin was really kind of the Steve Bannon architect in the background of Martin Luther King Jr. Yes. And to give credit, he was the architect of the 63 uh, March on Washington. Right. Of the, uh, he was, had a huge role in the boycott, uh, the bus boycotts, but he didn't have that charisma that King had. Right. And that's what they said a couple of clips ago. Everybody spoke at the March on Washington, but MLK set it on fire. Right. And that's something that Bayard didn't have. And they want to play up this thing about Bayard being gay. You know, and that was the reason why him. No, it was his political affiliations. But just for a little background, we're going to get into Bayard's arrest. Though I was extremely fond of him, I, I knew that he was interested in meeting lots of other people. And occasionally they turned up to, in my bed when I wasn't expecting them. <laughs> FBI Field Report. On January 21st, 1953, Rustin was arrested by the police department in Pasadena, California, as a suspected sexual pervert. He was charged with lewd vagrancy and sentenced to 60 days in the county jail. That was pretty fast news through the pacifist community that Bayard had been arrested in Pasadena. All the other arrests he'd had were on grounds of principle. But this was an arrest where he knew he was wrong. I don't mean morally wrong because it was a sexual encounter. I mean it was stupid to get arrested on the backseat of a car with two guys in a public <laughs> place. And he knew this. Oh, <laughs> so, so, but, oh, man. This is why Jeffrey Epstein had so much power. Is that in America, in particular, not even Europe so much, but in America... It's always the sex stuff that brings you down. I don't care if you're CEO. I don't care if you're, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you're Martin Luther King or if you're his uh, his mentor or if you're the president. Mm -hmm. The sex stuff always brings people down in America. And that's the point why I'm bringing this up because it didn't bring him down. Right? They knew it. They knew it. They knew what was going on. Yeah. They Southern Baptist preacher. I think they were Baptists. Quote, 99.9% sure, Southern Baptist preachers knew who Bayard was, but he had so much juice and was such a great organizer, they looked the other way. Right. But that, the of course, but problem, it's still the Achilles heel for like a Strom Thurmond to bring that up. It, yeah. it doesn't help. But it, that's not what drove the wedge between MLK and no, I Bayard. Got you. No, I got you. I understand that. I understand that. It's this next clip that really did it. Some of you may have heard on your news, and I know I heard it on the news this morning on PBS, the public radio, that Bayard Rustin has been awarded the President's Freedom Medal. Bayard Rustin is well known amongst individuals who've watched the Marxist movement in this country for years. Bayard Rustin, uh, he was a black individual, uh, joined the Communist Party, Young Communist League specifically, and cooperated with the Communists into his adult life. Then he became a socialist, ultimately becoming the leader of the Socialist Party in the United States. After that, he went to work with Martin Luther King to uh, form organizations and became a very big leader in the civil rights movement. 
he actually was the primary organizer of the 1963 march on Washington. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Cool. It was the fact that he was a communist because we got to put this in perspective. Yeah. The 50s, 60s, well, going back to the 40s, being a communist or a socialist at that time was. That was the worst thing ever. Well, it was the worst thing ever, especially uh, with Mr. J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, breathing down your neck. Yes. And that's why they were like, we don't need that kind of attention, Bayard. Right. You know, what you do in parked cars with two men in broad daylight, that's one thing. But to be an open and out communist, no, that's no deal. But the influence, I would presume, had definitely rubbed off on King to some degree. It must have. And not only King. Okay, so... Let me just set up this next clip. This is from Mr. Danny Rubin. Uh, he was the National Youth Secretary of the Communist Party, uh, a civil rights activist, and once called the most dangerous man in America uh, in America to American youth by J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> He's going to speak. <laughs> yeah, that's a hell of a uh, resume right there. <laughs> he, he, he's going to speak on uh, Rosa Parks and the bus movement. So then when, you know, uh, a couple of years later, we went to them and asked them to help finance these uh, buses of young people to the youth march in support of the Supreme Court decision. They, they did it. They, you know, that's, that's how we, we were able to bring 2,000 young people to, to uh, D.C. Uh, what else? Oh, so I'm so I'm giving a picture. This is this is the stuff closest to sixty mm-hmm. that led up to it. And of course, there was Rosa Parks and and the Montgomery bus boycott and the Montgomery uh, I forget what they called association, something association. And we had a role in those things. Rosa Parks was was active in the Southern Negro Youth Congress. Um, people knew her. She was not a party member, um, but after she became a heroine, uh, she was you know friendly. Um, well, that maybe this is a good point for you to mention the Highlander Folk School. Hmm? Maybe this is a good time for you to mention the Highlander Folk School. Yeah, I I intend to. Mm. Let me just finish okay, this. Okay. Hmm. Now is not a good time to mention the Highlander Folk School, but we'll get there. Uh, so a little background on Rosa Park, because what we're doing is all the people surrounded in King's uh, in his orbit sphere in his orbit. Yeah, yeah, in his in his orbit. So Miss Rosa Parks, uh, she was. Friends and occasional seamstress for Mr. Clifford and Virginia Durr, D-U-R-R. Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay. I'm going to... Enlighten you on me. Yes. Yes. First of all, he's a Rhodes Scholar. So, I mean, let's just put that out there. (laughs) Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And this is is, uh, what I dug up on them. It says, uh, Miss Parks was also friends and occasional seamstress. For Mr. Clifford and Virginia Durr, white upper crust New Deal progressives who have been active in civil rights efforts. He was a lawyer, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he, oh, uh, he, he, as a lawyer, and she as a volunteer. Mrs. Durr encouraged and put money up for Mrs. Parks to attend a ten-day interracial workshop during the summer of 1955 at the Highlander Folk School. Wait a minute. A tra- Wait a minute. Huh? No, this doesn't work. Rosa Parks mm-hmm. was just a woman who was tired of sitting in the back of the bus. You can't tell me she went so to some na- training so, camp. So the narrative goes. <laughs> she didn't so go to some training camp all of a sudden. Oh, Mo, it what are you gets, doing? It gets it gets juicier. You're ripping the universe uh, apart. A, a training center for union and civil rights activists in rural <laughs> Tennessee. It says, uh, Dirk, uh, let me see. It says, he and Gray prepared an appeal conviction for Claudette Coven, <laughs> a 15-year-old African-American woman right. charged for violating Montgomery's bus segregation laws in March 1955. Right, she was the it OG. Says, she was the original Rosa Parks. Uh, Rosa Parks. Parks. Mm-hmm. But it says here, I'm continuing to read. It says activists decided that hers was not the case to to challenge, the, not to use to challenge the law. Doesn't that sound familiar to uh, Brown versus Board of Education? Oh, how they picked totally. which cases they were going to use? Of course. Okay, I continue. What, wait, a minute, was, wait, wait, hold on. Was did Claudette yes. not look right for the part? You know, but, there's well, reasons she was, for this. She was, she was dark skinned. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It, it was rumored that she was pregnant at 15 years old, so she didn't pass the paper bag test, so to speak. And she did pass the communist test. Uh, right. I said, uh, where was that? Uh, Durr was therefore ready in night uh, in December 1955 when a police when police arrested Rosa Parks for refusing to give her seat to a white man. So the lawyer for Claudette Coven is best friends and cool with Rosa Parks. They push Claudette Coven to the side, and Rosa Parks end up. I'm tired. My feet hurt. I'm gonna sit down on this bus. Uh, <laughs> and then they end up taking um. The lawyer uh, Gray uh, took the federal court um, took the federal court litigation uh, took on the federal court litigation challenging the constitutionality of the ordinance. So that's how it happened. Wow! So now, 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 now tell me what you just heard. Cause I know I said a lot. <laughs> well, what? So what I just heard is that um, a lot of these there's there's just a lot of connection between communism between elitist politicians etc right down to rosa parks not being the story that we've i think we've all been told regardless Mm of color i would hope Mm -hmm. that you know you can get some special deal on that um where really you know she was a trained activist and they took an existing story an existing case and recreated it Maybe even with more people being complicit. The thing, of course, that, and I know they're going to lead to this, I think, is mm-hmm. ultimately a lot of what happened with King brought an incredible awareness and goodness to America through violence and through other, um, not necessarily by King, but there was just a lot of shit going on. The question is, was it always politically motivated? That's the mind boggling part. Because to then, him, I believe not. Okay. To him, I think in his heart, and this is why I want to make this clear to the people. I think he came from an honest place of wanting to do something for his people. 
But the, and that's why I'm focusing not on him. Have you noticed? I really haven't talked much about him. Right. I'm talking about the the people around outside him. influences yes. that are trying to steer him. Uh, whether it's by proxy, because Mr. Durr, I'm sure said, "Wow, that King guy, Rosa. You know, you need to latch on to him. <laughs> and you know, we're gonna we're gonna pay for you to go to this Highlander Folk School, which you're gonna get to that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, they pay for her to go there. Uh, and she just did the exact, exact same thing that Claudette Coven did, who Durr represented. Uh, but they said, no, nah, Claudette, you're not right for the role. And go back to what we said about the civil rights movement being a production, a TV production. Right on. Oh, and I said, so right, you, I said right on. I'm sorry. Right on, right on. <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> so I actually dug up a clip of Miss Claudette Coven speaking. That day when the bus driver asked me to get up, I had this feeling come over me. It felt like Harriet Tubman was holding me down, hands were holding me down on one shoulder, and Sojourner Truth hands were holding me down on another shoulder. And I was glued to the seat, and I could hear the white passioners saying, she gotta move, she gotta move, that's the law, she gotta move. And I felt like this is my time to take a stand for justice. My name is Claudette Colvin, and in 1955, I refused to give up my seat to a white passenger on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, nine months before Rosa Parks. I was 15 years old. Okay, um, acting as the casting director for the bus scene of the movie... Uh, mm-hmm. We're sorry, uh, Miss uh, Claudette. Your voice is just not going to cut it. We need someone to be upstanding and sound the part. You'll have to go. That's exactly what it was. It was casting. And then you top, yeah, you topped that on with uh, being uh, allegedly pregnant. That that wasn't going to fly. Not helpful. I mean, people were, not helpful. Was not, <laughs> we can people do, are not going to be sympathetic to her. We can try and cover it up with some CGI. Oh, wait. We didn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, where are we at? Okay. Now we can get back to the Highlander, Highlander School. Highlander School, yeah. I want to hear about this. But this is why J. Edgar Hoover stayed on Martin Luther King so hard, because he knew that he was a communist. He was, a, he was you know, he was a pawn of many different factions. And as I've stated previously, Martin Luther King attended a school known as the Highlander Folk School. Him, Ralph Abernathy, and that lesbian, Rosa Parks, who they used. She was nothing but a secretary at the STLC. It was really a young sister named Claudette Colvin who uh, resisted getting up out of her seat on the bus. But they knew that they really couldn't use her because she was a 14-year-old girl who was pregnant. So they decided to use Rosa Parks. I like how he says that lesbian. Whoa! Well, well, I couldn't, I couldn't validate that, but I wasn't going to clip it out for just a sec. I, I, I use clips as they are. I don't dink around with them to sure. No, manipulate no. them in any way. And if we do, then we let you know something was edited, of course. Yes, but yes. Yeah. But I, I just left it in there. Interesting. But as he said, the Highlander School was known for its communist ties. Uh, one, Mister Miles Horton. 
Um, he was a American educator, socialist, co-founder of the Highlander School Folk School. Uh, let's go down to yeah. It says that I'm reading from Wiki here, Wiki here. It said the term communist was applied to Horton's teachings in Highlander School because the school's philosophy of bringing whites and blacks together in violation of segregation laws. No. No, not because you're bringing whites and blacks together, because of your affiliations with actual known communists and another man named Mr. Stanley Levison. Now, Mr. Stanley Levison uh, was really close to Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was even considered a ghost writer for oh. uh, Martin Luther King. And it said, although no evidence uh, of Levison having further ties to the CPUSA, Communist Party USA, the FBI used earlier communist history to justify wiretaps and bugs in his office and his offices and hotel rooms of Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King. It says FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover had long associated the civil rights movement with communism. So that just lets you know of who they're dealing with. Now, so that we know about the Highlander School and this rural school in Tennessee, we're not talking about the internet age. So to find out about some school in the middle of rural Tennessee that's pushing communist ideologies, you had to know somebody that knew somebody. You see what I'm saying? Of course. Uh, But one of the little thing, little known facts that I even found out myself while doing this show, and I always love doing that when I find out something I didn't know, I like to share it with other people, the Highlander School song. It was in the civil rights struggle that Highlander became most famous, and famous for a song. How that happened is a textbook example of Highlander working exactly the way it was designed. From the start, the civil rights movement had songs, lots of songs, but it didn't have a song. One unifying and irresistible anthem that not only said who they were, but that musically expressed all their hope, determination, and spirit. Septima Clark, Pete Seeger, and a new young staffer named Guy Carowan began adapting an old hymn-turned-labor song that Zilfia loved to sing. The word will was changed to shall, some verses were fitted to the new movement's goals, and the tempo was changed so people could march to it better. <laughs> it became We Shall Overcome. Ah. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. Wow. So were those basically the lyrics to the song? Before- they actually put the song together because it was not shell as will. It said we, uh, we will overcome. So they slowed it down uh, so you could march to it. Uh, and, and we spoke on previous shows how this is a meme. Actually, it's a trigger uh, when they play that song because yes. we had three different clips using the same song in uh, mainstream media to really trigger you and take you back to a certain place. Right. Interesting. And it came out of this little school in Tennessee. Interesting. Outlander two, Folk School. Two white guys who, uh, who put it together and released <laughs> it. Just, just saying. Right. Huh. So, yeah. So I thought I was like, wow. That's like, cool. That's very cool. <laughs> so anyway, so now so now we understand that, of course, uh, in, and you have to put it in context mm-hmm. of, as you said, of the uh, the communism. Uh, we had the, you know, there was rumor of communists in Hollywood. There, there's just, a, you know, it was a, it, people getting blackballed. It wasn't just 
you know, poor people trying to organize. I mean, it was the communists and the Communist Party was a problem in the United States of America. So enter FBI and J. Edgar Hoover, who was a, a total whack job and mm-hmm. uh, and had his own political ambitions and motivations and friends and foes. So this, of course, could only lead to nastiness. So we have the protagonist in the story. Now we need the uh, antagonist in the story, which is one Mr. J. Edgar Hoover. Well, I'm, the narrative is J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover was this angry white man that wanted to take this uh, successful young black man down. Well, not so fast. <laughs> Tony Brown Journal was J. Edgar Hoover black. One of the most disliked white men in the black community allegedly was black himself. That rumor doesn't surprise those who observe some of those blacks who pass over and become white bigots to cover their tracks, or perhaps they just suffer from self-hatred. But it sent Millie McGee back to her family tree in Macomb, Mississippi, to see if the man who became synonymous with the FBI and hatred of Martin Luther King Jr. was himself her cousin, who had gone through the special Underground Railroad built from the South to Washington, D.C., for blacks who looked white enough to live as white people. Thank you very much for being with me. Thank you for having me. Your book, uh, Secrets Uncovered, J. Edgar Hoover, Passing for White. And I said Passing for White because there's a question mark. Why the title Passing for White question mark? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So J. Edgar Hoover, not only was he a secret cross-dresser, he was also uh-huh. black. Yes. <laughs> go, go, figure, go figure. The longest rainy. <laughs> that was not in my textbook. Of course not. <laughs> but it doesn't work to the narrative of uh, a, uh, anything. Anything. <laughs> nothing. Um, nothing. Just, so nothing works with that with that story. It, this is so good. Let's let let's let Tony Brown continue. Because when we first, when I first started writing the book, I did not realize that J. Edgar Hoover was actually in my lineage, and I was told it was rumors in the family that he was, and just rumors. So I knew that I had to put question mark until I did some research and made out for sure that he was a part of the family. Now this is a pretty serious charge. Uh, and not because there's anything wrong with being black, but because uh, of the other implications. Uh, do you feel comfortable uh, making this charge that J. Edgar Hoover, are you saying, in effect, he was black? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying, in effect, that I'm a black woman and he is in my family lineage. He is a part of my family. Uh, I don't necessarily like it. Uh, I didn't even know it when I started it, but when I found it out, I was looking for my great-great-grandmother, who is Emily Allen, who had babies by his ancestors. And after doing my research, after two and a half years of research, I have, without a shadow of a doubt, in my heart and the documents showing that he is a part of our lineage. Oh, man. So J. Edgar J. Edgar Hoover was ADOS? Yes. Nice. 
He was a self-loathing, seems like a self-loathing <laughs> black man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, now, did he have a hatred of? Was he known racist? Was he? Is is there examples of him mm-hmm. hating? <laughs> oh yeah. He- <laughs> Oh, you're okay, Mo. Don't have a stroke on me. I'm just asking a question. <laughs> there was there was uh, a couple of data points. <laughs> okay, I mean he hated uh, MLK. Uh, he hated uh, Marcus Garvey. Oh yes, uh, yes, that, yes, that was one. He, that was the one there. He re- he, he really, really hated, hated Marcus Garvey. Mark, uh, right. Marcus Garvey. Yes. So he made that that member. They called him the Tiger. So yeah. Uh, if people want to go back and listen to the old, old the archives, you know, you, you you pick up on that. But it's this funny thing that J. Edgar Hoover was the original Uncle Ruckus. Yeah, boy, Cotton Baboon. Ah! Dance there, you goddamn chunky cheek monkey. Ruckus, what the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? No, 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 Phil Robert. Hold on a second. I, I triggered that clip. Why do I not know what this is, Uncle Ruckus? You don't know who Uncle Ruckus is? No. And remember, I, I, I lived in, in Europe during a, a number of formative years, but... Oh, Uncle Ruckus was like, this is new. Uncle Ruckus is from the show Boondocks. And he is the most self-hating black man uh, known to man. I mean, even though it's animation, he is known for his self-loathing. So much so, he said he has re-vertiligo. And he said he's originally born as a white man. I don't know, but he was. Where did, what is this air on? What uh, what channel is this on? Comedy Central. You can catch it on. I mean, YouTube. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, I can get a YouTube, Hulu, everything. But it's comedy Comedy yeah, Central everything. show. Oh, okay. Yes, Comedy Central show. All right, I'm gonna start the clip over. This is good. Yeah, okay. boy, Cotton Baboon. Ah! Dance there, you goddamn chunky cheek monkey. Ruckus, what the hell is wrong with you? No, 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 Phil Robert. That head between me and Martin Luther, so-called king. Only king I know of Elvis Presley. God rest his soul. <laughs> oh, oh, you don't remember me. Well, I've been throwing bricks at your marching ass since 1959. And so, brothers and sisters... You know why. Hey, shut the hell up, you black son bitch. <laughs> What's wrong with y'all? Thank God for the white man's infinite mercy, Martin Luther King. Because if it was up to me, I'd unleash the hound and turn y'all niggas into puppy child. I was happy at the back of the bus. <laughs> Why'd you have to go mess with the natural order of things? I'd have shot you myself. But I realized the white man got better aim. Stop acting crazy. <laughs> Man, <laughs> this show is not nuts. Yeah, so that 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 puts me in the mind of what J. Edgar Hoover was like. So got it, just got it. Okay, all right. So moving forward, I thought I would add that in there. Thank you. Just to show you of. Uh, Hold on, I got to set my I- VCR now. And make sure I catch okay. it. Yeah. So, uh, just to show you how sinister. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover was. Let's listen to the uh, U.S. National Archives. Well, there may be some... Among the treasure trove of CIA and FBI files released by America's National Archive last week were documents relating to the assassinated civil rights leader, Martin Luther King. The FBI's director at the time, Edgar Hoover, detested King and suspected him of being a communist. His spies discovered evidence to support that. 
cut far more explosive for a man of God was King's sexual behaviour, which the FBI discovered was promiscuous and even divided some of his followers. It included an affair with at least one celebrity, the folk singer and former girlfriend of Bob Dylan, Joan Baez. The Reverend King would never see some of his dreams realised as he was shot dead just weeks after the FBI report was made in April 1968. It's unclear why the archives released the King documents as they were not included in President Trump's order to publish files relating to the Kennedy assassination. Oh, this was recent, huh? Uh, so, some Kennedy papers came out, and in the Kennedy file was this uh, Martin Luther King uh, couple briefs. Interesting. So, Martin Luther King, uh, J. Edgar Hoover would call Coretta Scott King and play tapes, not him personally, but the FBI would call and play tapes of Martin Luther King. Uh, yeah, sexual ph- philandering, yes. And, right. And I don't, you know what, if you're effective, your sex life doesn't really sway me one way or the other. That's yeah, why I really but, didn't get yeah, into that Yeah, but this in is show. America. I told you this. Yeah, it's always I the know. sex stuff. <laughs> right. You got to keep so it he, in your pants. Right. So they tried to write this letter to King telling him to kill himself because they were going to expose him. And, oh, brother. Uh, yeah. 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 So that's how sinister uh, J. Edgar Hoover was. Um, so. But where Martin Luther King really got himself into trouble, it wasn't the civil rights movement. It wasn't any of that. And I wanted to read one quote that he was going to use uh, at the March on Washington. It said, King had planned to cap his speech by exhorting people to go back to our communities as members of the International Association for Advancement of Creative Dissatisfaction. International. So. He was on the globalist tip back then. Clearly. Uh, but he made a misstep. And that's when he started talking against the Vietnam War. To guarantee liberties in Southeast Asia, which they had not found in Southwest Georgia and East Harlem. So we have been repeatedly faced with a cruel irony watching Negro and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schoolroom. So we watch them in brutal solidarity, burning the huts of a poor village. But we realize that they would hardly live on the same block in Chicago or Atlanta. As I have walked among the desperate, rejected, and angry young men, I have told them that Molotov cocktails and rifles would not solve their problems. But they ask, and rightly so, what about Vietnam? They ask if our own nation wasn't using massive doses of violence to solve its problems. And I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. Yeah, yeah. Now, this to me shows that he was indeed very sincere because mm-hmm. he saw he saw the hypocrisy. Uh, spoke out about it, but underestimated a number of things. 
including the military industrial complex and just a whole i mean we could do a whole nother show on that alone but yeah yes. that's that's clearly it's like what okay king now you've pushed us too far and let's put it into context he's saying these things about sending his people into a burning house you have uh at this time Black people becoming more, they were getting tired of the nonviolent uh, resistance and leaning more towards, um, if nothing else, self-defense of the Malcolm X uh, mindset. So they were like, if King starts to talk self-defense and right. anti-war and burning yeah, because he is effective. He's an effective speaker and motivator. But he didn't stop there. King continues on about the Vietnam War. America and most of its newspapers applauded me in Montgomery. And I stood before thousands of Negroes getting ready to riot when my home was bombed. And said, we can't do it this way. They applauded us in the sit-in movement. And we nonviolently decided to sit in at lunch counters. They applauded us on the freedom rides when we accepted blows without retaliation. Oh, the press was so noble in its applause and so noble in its praise when I was saying be nonviolent toward Bull Connor. There's something strangely inconsistent about a nation and a press praise you when you say be nonviolent toward Jim Clark but will curse and damn you when you say be nonviolent toward little brown Vietnamese children. There's something wrong with that press. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he touched that third rail and the fact that he bit the hand that had been friendly to him in the media because he came at the press in that in that the, the clip we just played yes played. And, and and in the context of that is the vietnam war was the first media war it was uh, mainly photojournalism but there was also a lot of film coming in and that's mm-hmm. when americans first really saw the ugliness of war as it was being reported but i'm sure it was good for the ratings for the media well that's in a, an important moment in television history. Yes. Very good yeah. for the media. People are glued to it. We love war. Woo! So he had got to a point where he was like, okay, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. So at this point, uh, JFK has stepped in and Robert Kennedy has stepped in like King. We know who you're associated with. You got to cut those people off. Uh, because of the communist ties. And right after that, JFK was assassinated and MLK gives his views on JFK and MLK. The most devastating thing in Martin's life was the assassination of President Kennedy. He saw it as his own assassination. And he said, if they can't protect the president, our days are numbered. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I mean, I said it again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can under, so, I can understand. Yeah. And he was exactly right. Martin the King assassinated. 
Eyewitnesses to the assassination say that Dr. King left his room, 306, at the Lorraine Hotel just before dinner to get some air. He walked over to the railing at this spot, and noticing some friends below, he leaned over and began to speak with them. Police say 205 feet away, in a window in a flop house, the assassin waited. He waited, police believe, in a bathroom down the hall from the room he rented but four hours earlier. To get a clear shot of his victim, the assassin apparently had to stand in the bathtub, leaning forward to brace his arms on the window ledge to steady his rifle. And this was the view he got. He fired a single shot, hitting his target squarely, and then he ran. Out of the bathroom and along the decrepit hallway, turning, he raced down the rickety wood stairs and out. One policeman said he simply faded. Ike Pappas, CBS News, Memphis. And he was dead. Yeah. So, but the story doesn't end there because <laughs> the, the narrative was Lone shooter, racist guy, Earl Ray. Yeah, James, yeah. Well, it was James he, Earl Ray. Three names. Three names. We're always looking for three names. That's that's your well, typical. Three first names. Three first names. Right. <laughs> it's a. You're right. It's a trifecta. That's really a good one. It is that your ultimate white supremacist Nazi hate guy has three first names. <laughs> James Earl Ray. <laughs> yeah. L- let me guess. It wasn't him. Not according to Judge Joe Brown. Did he, in fact, assassinate Dr. Martin Luther King? And had he not died and his local attorney not died in close succession, it would have been my finding that he was not the gunman. That Remington 760 Game Master they've got in the Civil Rights Museum is not the murder weapon. It's not even close. And it was a two-man hit team that killed him from the fire station dormitory. It wasn't the flop house, and it wasn't in those bushes. So, yeah, I got into the deep details of Dr. King, and that three- or four-year period, that case was kicking around in front of me. Wow. Uh, Okay, two-person hit job is a very, very, very different story. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a thing called Operation Lantern Spike and Operation Chaos. Uh, so this is from the Cynthia McKinney's 2002 Martin Luther King Jr. Record Collection Act, which I love Cynthia McKinney. Uh, I think she does great work, uh, when she was actually in, in the politics. Yeah, uh, yeah it, yes, re- I remember it. She was fantastic. She kind of, she herself got threatened, I believe, and she yeah, cause left she, Rumsfeld, she, she asked Rumsfeld about, uh, what was it? The little kids, uh, I think it was the UN or somebody. Um, I, I digress, but she she questioned a lot of powerful people. Oh, about and, the about the babies in incubators. That was one of yes. the one, which was a total the daughter of a Hill and Knowlton PR vice president. It was a total setup job just to get us into Iraq. Yeah. Yep. That was exactly it. Yeah. So in this in this act. Uh, she said, describing her reasons for drafting the bill, McKinney stated the truth for MLK assassination would, uh, has never been totally revealed. The FBI program, COINTELPRO, the CIA, CIA project, Operation Chaos, and the Army Intelligence Operation Lantern Spy all worked together to prevent the rise of a black messiah and replace Martin Luther King Jr. with a clean Negro. Well, we're going to get back to the clean Negro. <laughs> 
no. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, we're going to get back there, but let's continue on with Judge Joe Brown. He didn't kill him. Uh, it's interesting. The homicide file for the Memphis Police Department reaches the same conclusion back in 1968. Uh, they entered their file in protest to the DA's office. Their conclusion was Ray is not the gunman. He was not even in Memphis that day. We know conclusively where he was. So why do you think he got convicted for the murder? Well, he didn't get convicted. He pled guilty. You have to understand, though, the news media puts it out as he was the self-confessed killer of King. That's not true. All through the transcripts, the entirety of the record, he never confessed, and often he said, I never said I killed King. I didn't kill him. I'm pleading cause of Alford. That's A-L-F-O-R-D. It's a moderately old U.S. Supreme Court case, and it says, even if you are not actually guilty and you are pristinely innocent, you may plead guilty to the charge if you think that doing so is in your best interest. Wow, that's like the the reverse of the Fifth Amendment. I'm gonna take the charge. <laughs> that's, that's basically, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll, uh, I'll jump on the grenade basically. And I know people make some people maybe rolling their eyes like, "Come on, Mo, here you go with your conspiracies." <laughs> Not yet. No. <laughs> I thought it was put, kind of put, timely. Put, put, yeah, put that theremin on ice, though. I'm going to need it a little bit later. Uh, <laughs> but the, the U.S. government found responsible for MLK. But only 15 years ago, something else happened, something that changed everything we knew about Martin Luther King's death. And yet, most people still don't know about it. 15 years ago, the only trial ever held concerning the murder of Martin Luther King Jr. was concluded. And no, it wasn't done in someone's basement under the cover of tinfoil hats. There wasn't anyone with the word Illuminati carved in their forehead. And no, the jury wasn't made up of beavers wearing bow ties. Because if it were, I would have been there. This was a real live trial between the King family and the conspirators who killed Martin Luther King. All right. This was real. In a civil trial in 1999, a jury found U.S. government agencies, along with others, guilty of assassinating MLK in Memphis in 1968. After hearing from 70 witnesses, including Lloyd Jowers, who assisted the sniper and owned Jim's Grill, from which the shot was fired, the jury took less than an hour to decide that, one, multiple government agencies were responsible for the murder. Two, James Earl Ray, the man we've always been told pulled the trigger, had nothing to do with it. And three, the mainstream media is a f-ing stain on the soul of this country. <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> I liked his rap. That was for R R T. Uh, what is the guy's name? I'm sorry. Um, oh, I know the guy. Is that the the long Russian? Black ha- dark hair. Yeah, yeah the Russian long guy. dark hair, goatee. Yeah, yeah. He- he kind of hates America, but he does it in a funny way. Yeah, but he brings up a good point. The no, no, mainstream it, it, media is a stain. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> no, no disagreement there. But this is kind of like the OJ trial with the civil trial, mm-hmm. you know, where he's, he's he's convicted in a civil trial. So the King family, I, I, again, this is why this show exists. I didn't know this. So there was mm-hmm. an actual guilty verdict that two government agencies were involved. Let me guess. 
Multiple, not two, multiple. multiple. So it could be more than two. <laughs> and we're, well, let me go back to my notes. Uh, could it be the FBI and COINTELPRO, the yes, CIA yes, Operation Chaos, yes. and the Military Inte- uh, Intelligence Operation Lantern Spike? Yeah, Maybe. Possibly. Who knows? Yeah. And if that's true, if they took out the Black Messiah, who is the clean Negro? So um, we're going to figure that out. The reason why you've heard none of this, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but we put a lot of work into putting this show together to have this conversation weekly. And we do get value for value. And I think that we don't thank people that really, you know, show us appreciation. So me and Adam been having conversations on how we should thank people. And I think we'll do something similar to uh, No Agenda and thank people within the show. It's somewhere around this time point in the show. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I think this is a good spot to do it as well, because I was I was actually extremely excited. I'm like, OK, now we're going <laughs> to this is going to be, you know, like the, the crescendo, the climax. Yes. Before we get to that, value for value is the name of the game. We don't charge you. Uh, there's no corporate interest. Obviously, corporate interest uh, would not appreciate, perhaps, the the <laughs> controversial topics that are discussed here. Um, or being called a stain. Well, that, you know, that's a perfect example. You know, it would be tough to play that clip that way. Um, so we just consider this to be a valuable program. It's a valuable series. Uh, it has a very long shelf life, um, which is which I'm very pleased about. So if you're in the future and we're old men and you're listening to this, hopefully PayPal still works or (laughs) if, you know, who knows who owns it by then Amazon probably, but uh, we appreciate you uh, determining how much value this was uh, to you. In fact, this particular show, I think would be a value to your children. If you don't already have them listening, just to give Mm -hmm. them a little, uh, you know, alternative history, uh, it's just a different perspective on what they're being taught in school. And I guarantee you it's not this. Uh, to do that, to support the show, go to mofax.com or you can go directly to the donation uh, page at mofundme.com, M-O-E-F-U-N-D-M-E.com. And on the next show, we'll be thanking uh, people who send in uh, some value for value. All right. So back to the clean Negro. Jesse Jackson, FBI involved in MLK's murder. I remember someone, someone said, get low, get low, because whoever was if they spread the bullets, spread the bullets, they could hit three or four of us in the courtyard. We got, there's a picture of Andy Young and somebody we pointed that, that picture is, we were saying the police are coming to drone guns. The guns, the shot that came from that way, go, go, go the way the, the shot came from. That's what that picture was all about. I hate to replay that moment. He died so young, so innocent, such moral authority. It hurts to think about it, talk about it. What do you remember thinking at the time as all of this is going on? I remember we really saying that we cannot let one bullet kill a movement. We're going on to Washington, and we did. Now, I got to be honest with you, Mo. Mm-hmm. It was difficult for me to understand everything he was saying. The middle part I got, okay. the beginning was very. Mm-hmm. Was he was he show, talking about the picture of when MLK got shot? 
Well, the reason why I played this clip was his account, he's out there pointing in the wrong direction from where the, the trial that we just spoke about said the shots actually came from. Oh. It didn't come from that window y'all were pointing at. You know the iconic picture where they're all yes, pointing? Yes, 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 yes. That was bullshit. Excuse my language. I hardly ever use that. That was complete bull cocky. <laughs> right. What, what are you pointing at, Jesse? So the bullets didn't come from that. You you say you were there and you heard the shots come. It, okay, you hear shots come from somewhere and you point in the wrong wrong direction, mm-hmm. and everybody's pointing in the wrong direction. That's bull crap. Bull crap. Mm-hmm. And that's why I played that to catch him up in his own words. Now Theremin. <laughs> yes, sir. Now we're gonna get to allegedly. I have to say this. Allegedly, who killed Martin Luther King? By none other than Mr. Steve Coakley. Doctor is the one who was picked to replace Martin King, but Jesse is the one he trained. If you had spent all this time on putting him in place and you ain't got nobody else around Martin, now Andy was supposed to be shot with Martin, but Andy wasn't on the balcony, he was on the floor, so he didn't get it. Ralph was inside, so he didn't get it. Key point, if you spent all that time and Martin's about to say you are agent, do you understand that you got to press go on the assassination? Because now Martin is so continuously condemning you, you got wiretaps everywhere. And we know what he said about Jesse in front of everybody, but who knows what he said when it was just him and Ralph? How much more severe was his accusations? Wait a minute. It, mm-hmm. it, is this is this Martin Luther King discovering that Jesse Jackson was an infiltrator? Did I understand that? Yes, that's exactly what you understood. <laughs> oh, and that's from one Mr. Steve Coakley, the same one that broke us to the boule right on previous shows, and he fingered Martin Luther King as a boule member. So it's not like he's Team King, you know. No, no, it's not out of the realm for his overall overall thinking. Yeah. So, and a little uh, tidbit of information. The story is all the people that were in on it didn't wear neckties that day. Uh, I've heard this. I have heard this one. And I think that might have been put in a movie somewhere. Yes. And another little tidbit. There's a story. There's an argument. Did Martin Luther King even die at the scene of the assassination or was he killed in the hospital yeah this is this is an ongoing argument that was actually going on yesterday and i found it quite entertaining that maybe he was and i I didn't i didn't put that in the show but that is a conversation as well because he actually they some people say he actually didn't uh succumb to his gunshot wounds uh a la um the kid in washington dc has anyone Uh, has anyone really documented this story the way you've been unfolding it uh so far is is this in any movie who's gonna fund it (laughs) i'm not i'm not being facetious i'm just saying that what am i thinking of course let's go back to the top of the show what (laughs) is martin luther king he's the trigger to keep black people in control if you let these little nuances and 
Yeah, we, we can't have uh, humanistic any of that. properties no. of him. No, we can't come have about, any even of that. to the burning no. house. Yeah, not not no. That will ruin the effect of the trigger. It's I have a I have a dream. Be nonviolent. You know, every time you know, uh, <laughs> play along. Yeah, anytime people start getting riled up, it's it's combat now. But let's let Steve Coakley continue on. Now, what's happening? NBC Meet the Press, the most watched Sunday news program, goes back to this moment that we're out teaching is a point of distrust and evidence of Martin's dislike to Jesse. They go right back to that spot, put him right on Rockefeller's NBC, toss that ball right up and say, Jesse, now when I toss this ball up, I want you to stuff it home. (laughs) So he puts a circle around Jesse's head and a circle around Martin's head, calls it close and says you were one of Martin's closest associates. What did Martin King say to you tonight before he died? Oh, man. So the media was complicit in because uh, actually uh, uh, Ralph Abernathy was Martin Luther King's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. And he was he was picked to be next in line. Uh, but he had tax problems. He even had Jesse Jackson even had bigger tax problems than him, but they well, seemed to I, didn't mess I was, with Jesse. No, I was going to say you get you don't have tax problems. The IRS <laughs> creates your tax problems, and for some people, they don't create the tax problems. And the story is that um, Jesse Jackson owed uh, multiples of what uh, Ralph Abernathy owed, mm-hmm. but he wasn't bothered. So. Let's continue on with this uh, conspiracy theory. I'm going to have to say it like that, and this is all alleged. But um, did Jesse Jackson set up MLK? Despite his official inclusion on King's staff, King soon found himself unimpressed with aspects of Jackson's personality. He was especially troubled with Jackson's reflective ability to escalate encounters with government officials, police departments, and innocent bystanders. Now, as King lay dying on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, Jackson claims and has claimed since 1968 that he was the last to speak to King and cradled King's head as he died. Jackson then appeared on Chicago television the next day wearing a bloody turtleneck that he said was stained with the blood of the fallen civil rights leader. King associates have always challenged Jackson's self-described role on that day as fabricated and distasteful. Jackson, in reality, was in the parking lot below. Critics also claim that Jackson went so far as to wipe King's blood on his shirt for the sole purpose of going on television to build his own legend. Oh, man, he pulled a Jackie O. Enlighten me. Jacqueline Onassis, <laughs> wife of John F. Kennedy, mm-hmm. had, you know, allegedly parts of his brains on her dress. And she appeared in, se- I think, th- several photographs. Oh, really? I didn't know this. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he did pull a Jackie O because the, the, the word was nobody talked to the media. Nobody. That was what was going around. He puts blood on his shirt, rolls right out there. Yeah, I'm I'm the right hand man to Martin Luther King, and oh, history man. goes on. I mean, even if uh, if it did happen, if it was the turtleneck, it's the next mm-hmm. day, and he's wearing it, still wearing it. It's highly inappropriate. That that is the ultimate clout chase of 
to use a modern get, term. I mean, that's I mean, there's <laughs> there's biblical comparisons for what he did with that. Yeah. Yeah. But the sad thing is the deaths didn't stop for the King family. And the King and the Kennedy families have so much in common and uh it's kind of sad. Uh Adam, these next school clips just to quiz you. Did you know they assassinated MLK's? A mysterious drowning left a family in shock and a king's legacy lost in the shadows. Was his death an accident or murder? Alfred Daniel King. Love must be expanded, not only to our obvious enemies, but to those within ourselves. The younger brother of Martin Luther King Jr. was set to continue his brother's legacy. But just 15 months after Martin was assassinated. Sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight. AD's life was cut short too. In this groundbreaking television event, we reveal the story of A.D. King, his legacy, his leadership, his death. I'm Ed Gordon. We'll tackle that question on the 50th anniversary of the King assassination with new details on the death of A.D. King. Unsolved history, life of a king. Wow. Did no. you know that? No, I didn't know that. What I do know is that we need to have some kind of music, you know, some kind of scary music or something to really draw you in. Otherwise, you don't understand the direness of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> so on on July 21st, 1969, nine days before his 39th birthday, Alfred Daniel William King, Martin the King's brother, was found dead in his swimming pool at his home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said the cause of death was listed as accidental, but people don't see it that way. <laughs> no, I, I can understand. And you're right. The parallels with the Kennedys is crazy. But it doesn't stop there. Did you know they assassinated Martin Luther King's? Well, I was sitting in the back, and that's why I got a better look at him. Because as he was shooting, it was such a shock. I was standing there. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a, something like, a, you know, a toy gun with blinks or something. Was he uh, down the front or in the middle of the car? Well, after he shot, you know, I seen some people falling. Then I knew then. I knew. I said, yeah, he's shooting for real, you know. Then this gentleman says, fall to the floor. And I fell and started crying. Everyone started falling falling. He was located... Uh, on the right side of the pulpit. He went directly to the front of the church? No, he stood up and just started shooting. He was sitting, right. down he was sitting that's right, and he just stood up and started shooting. Did he shoot up toward the choir? And he was shooting there? everywhere. He was shooting like this. All he was just shooting like that. Okay, and who was that? On June 30th, 1974, Alberta King, Martin King's mother, was assassinated inside a church by Marcus Wayne Chenault. A 23-year-old black man from Ohio who had adopted an extremist version of the theology, black Hebrew Israelites. Mm. And that comes forward, fast forward to now, with that we heard that group in the news. Uh, with but the, wait. Uh, yes. 
Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's the uh, it's the kids, uh, uh, the kids with the MAGA hats who were at the pro life rally and they were being uh, uh, yelled at by the black Israelites and yeah. I believe the shooting of a Jewish deli or store in New Jersey. Yeah, and the rabbi killing. And the rabbi killing, right? Yeah, but hold on, Theremin. <laughs> oh, hold on! I, I just put it in the case, man. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There I go. Here it is, Mr. Wayne Chenault. Yes, he was a little person, but not only that, he was allegedly part of a group of black assassins called the Troop. The troop was ran out of Wright's Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Uh, his uh, name or code name was Little Professor. Uh, they targeted they were they were targeted for assassination most of most American leading black religious and spiritual leaders straight out of COINTELPRO Pro and Project Chaos. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty mind-blowing <laughs> oh man i love had that had you heard of these two family members being killed no well why may, not? maybe well why not is obvious because what was the quote about the m5m you know uh, the stain exactly um his mom being killed in a church vaguely, 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 but not as an assassination, never characterized as such, uh, never thought, you know, I don't know if there was ever any trials or I, none of that. No, absolutely not. Which is, of course, why I show up every week, I, so I can be schooled. And you would think that the women's right movement will latch on to her as a, you know, not only did King die, you know, his mom, you know, you know how they do exploit it. They were exploiting it some kind of way, you yeah, know. But it's uh, not been exploited ever, that, to my knowledge. Whenever I see that, yeah, uh, that's, when they don't exploit something, that yeah. is a that's a tell huge red flag to me. Yeah, uh, is same as the one with the guy I brought his name up. Early, I mean, brought him up early, but not by name. The kid in D.C. that got killed by uh, that worked for the DNC, Seth Rich. Seth Rich. I always forget his name. The fact when they didn't use him as an example of gun violence was pretty telling. Well, it was also the wrong gun. It, it wasn't some scary looking AR-15. It was a 22 pistol. But yeah, your point is to- it was totally in, right. But it was in Washington, D.C., a gun-free zone. And it was a white and, guy. You know, so, and, it, and it was a white guy. I mean, obviously, you know. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> white guy getting gunned down needs some news attention. But one of your own, one of your D.C. Uh, and DNC uh, workers, so I mean, like, it just struck nah, me. That nah, nah, we don't care. Never, nah, <laughs> now nah, no tragedy you. goes unexploited. Or uh, yes, correct. So I know this has been a rough ride. No, it's been a beautiful ride. It's been it's been the roller coaster of my life. But I found this quirky little clip, and I thought it was a good way to end it because it was just no. This has been like a. I don't know, very sad show in a way, but very in, uh, enlightening, uh, informative, enlightening and informative as well. Uh, accidentally honored on MLK Day. Tonight's Factor Fiction is brought to you by America's Finest Carpet. 
In tonight's Factor Fiction, we're looking into a story involving a stunning Martin Luther King Day mistake. As the story goes, a plaque made for a 2002 MLK Day celebration in Florida gave thanks to Dr. King's assassin, James Earl Ray. And amazingly, this one is true. For their annual MLK Day celebration, the people of Lauderhill, Florida, invited actor James Earl Jones to be their featured speaker. In appreciation, they ordered a plaque and were horrified when it came with an inscription thanking James Earl Ray for keeping the dream alive. AdPro, the company that made the plaque, claimed the error was an innocent, albeit stupid, mistake. The plaque was corrected in time for the celebration. Man, that's horrible. What was that? Thank you, James Earl Ray, for keeping the dream alive. Oh, man. Hey, James Earl Ray, do the CNN voice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Mo, man, this was this was great. And yes, it is in a way it's sad, but no, not really, because look at where we are. Look at what's taking place right now. None of Mm -hmm. this conversation might have ever happened without MLK. Without, I mean, Correct. obviously events unfold and they have to unfold in a certain way for the, the future and, you know, the current to, to take place at all. But it's, it's great because uh, we get to learn from this story and hopefully look at lots of people with fresh eyes. Jesse and Jackson, the, for sure. <laughs> that, that, that was the goal of is to give you information that the mainstream media just refuses to let out, even though it's well-documented, is court cases, it's not, uh, you know, tinfoil hat, you know, Dorito dust finger, you know, that, you know, that meme that are tropes they put out there for conspiracy theories. These right. are real facts. Uh, there are some dots to connect, but as I always say, Pay attention to everything, and the truth will reveal itself. And we will return in a week's time. Remember us at MoFundMe.com. We'll see you in a week, everybody. Bye-bye. Say goodbye to my love. I didn't mean to make a cry. I didn't realize of our love. Now I need it by my son. Would you please, please do me a favor? You should happen to see my baby somewhere. 
Would you please tell I'm waiting with open arms? Would you please make my dreams come true? Baby, 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 baby. Ooh. 